But today is a great day for us as we celebrate uh, the three-year anniversary of the Cross Loganville. And uh, I just want to say thank you to our people uh, that have walked with us, uh, the pastoral staff. Uh, Chad, you guys, our elder team has been phenomenal in the process of what uh, God has brought about over these last five and a half years since I've been here. But the last three years, uh, it's, it's been really, really phenomenal. And so uh, we've been talking about over the last seven weeks how your story matters. And your story does matter. But as we contemplate it, reality is your name matters. And even Solomon would write in Proverbs that a good name is to be more desired than great riches. A good name. What's your name? As the great theologian Leonard Skinner would ask, little girl, what's your name? <clears throat> but what, what's your name? And what's the meaning of your name? And there's so much power in a name that even God would say this about his son in Philippians 2, that therefore Jesus was given the name, the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow <clears throat> and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord, the name. So I, I'm, I'm on my elliptical Friday morning and I'm, I'm working out and I'm going over my notes and I'm like, you know, I've never asked that question. So I pick up the phone and I call my mom. And I'm like, Mom, I've got a question for you. She's like, okay. Let me tell you where I'm going Sunday. She goes, okay. I said, I've never asked you, why did you name me Timothy? Have you ever asked your parents that? So I posed it to Nick. I said, Nick, have you ever asked your parents why they named you Nick or Nicholas or St. Nicholas or whatever your name is? And, and so, <laughs> why did you name me that, Mom? She starts giggling. And she says, well... To be honest with you, I just like that name. You just liked it. But you know the name Timothy, mom, means honoring God. And I love that name. And there was anything spiritual connected to it? And she goes, no. <laughs> we just like <laughs> the name. I said, I get my middle name, uh, Timothy Earl. Come on, the Dukester is in the house. So 15 minutes later, the phone rings. And she laughs and she goes, Listen to what your daddy said. He went, he went, there was no chance he was going to name you Junior. And I start laughing because his name is Claudie Earl, and he hates the name Claudie. And when he goes to the hospital or doctor, oftentimes on those little bracelets, it says Claudie E, and they'll call him Claudie. And he goes, don't call me Claudie, my name's Earl. And so he goes, I thought Timothy sounded a lot better with your name. What's your name mean? Where did your name come from? And so as you study scripture, you study names and words all the time. You, you really do. And uh, nomen est omen is a phrase we use here in the Latin that means your name is your destiny. Your name is your destiny. And as you study scripture, you see names and you see names being changed. You see the name Jacob and his brother Esau. And you see Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And God goes, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Seaver and Conniver and grabbing what don't belong to you. And I'm going to change your name to Israel, which means you will struggle and wrestle with God, but you will prevail. I'm going to give you a new name. And in the New Testament, you read about this guy in Acts 9 that has this like incredible experience with the Lord on the Damascus road. And God looks at him and says, I'm going to change your name. Uh, I'm going to change your name from uh, Saul which means requested and admired. I'm going to change your name to Paul, which means little one. I'm going to change your name. 
So we got here five and a half years ago, and I'm like, Oasis Church. Oasis. Well, there was a bowling alley right down the road named Oasis. And there's a strip joint in the area named the Oasis. I'm like, oh, 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 hold on. I I don't want the name Oasis. And I started looking at the name Oasis, and it means a place to come to refresh and be replenished. And it's like, hold on. What What is the gospel? And so we sat there and prayed, and Nick and our team prayed. And it was like, we're gonna name it the cross. Not a place to come and just refresh, but a place to come and die. Come and die. Because Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. So Jesus was saying, you've got to be willing to come and die. And Paul would write, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who told me to come and die. But What we know is there's no life apart from death because we have to come to Christ and be willing to die to ourselves to embrace the life that he offers if we're ever going to experience eternal and abundant life. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17 and 18, it says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He's like, God didn't send me so that I could just cleverly talk and verbally articulate and try to emotionally assassinate audiences just with words. He didn't want the cross of Christ void. But but he said, for the word of the cross... To those perishing, it's foolishness, but to those being saved, it's God's power unto salvation. And, and I, I read that and I thought, what a powerful mission. If God would use this guy, Saul the antagonist, turn Paul the apologist, this persecutor now turned proclamator to pen the majority of the New Testament, and he said his purpose for living and his passion in life was to preach the cross I'm like, that's got to be our name. We've got to be the cross. We've got to be a place where lost humanity meets agape from heaven at an old rugged cross, a place called Calvary. We've got to do that. But culturally speaking, culturally speaking in our society, the message of the cross has become trivialized. The message of the cross has been reduced down to somewhat of a fairy tale. The the weightiness of the gospel and the power of the message of the cross has been reduced to just a cute little cartoon at times. You you can ask people at times, uh, hey, uh, you got that cross on. Uh, What does that mean to you? And I've heard people say, well, the the cross to me, it— my grandmother gave it to me, and I just like the way it looks. That, that's it. I'll see people getting tatted up with crosses on at times, and you ask them, well, why did you get that tattoo? Well, I just thought it looked cool. 
In our society, if we're not careful, we start to buy into the Hollywood message and the trivial, uh, the trivial uh, emphasis when it comes to the cross. It doesn't carry any weight in our society anymore. Even for evangelicals, we love talking about the resurrection because the resurrection is a story about a dead man coming back to life. But we struggle studying the crucifixion because it's about an alive man becoming dead. And it's a torturous story. It's a story of murder. It's a story of deep pain. And it's disturbing because each and every one of us sitting here had something to do with the narrative that took place some 2,000 years ago at the place of the skull when Jesus died on the cross because he was dying for your sin and mine, our sin. He was dying for that. I sit there and look at it and go, the cross, what a powerful, weighty symbol. But it's a staggering message because it's such a, a bloody message, especially to those who have not believed and those who have not repented and those who have not responded to the gospel. It, it, it is a staggering message. Even Paul would say, the word of the cross to those perishing, it's foolishness. And the word foolishness there in the Greek is the same word we use for the word moron. And what he's saying is, for a person to really believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross, it's, it's moronic, it's insane, it's stupendous, it, it doesn't make any sense. But, but to those being saved, it's God's power of hope and deliverance and freedom and restoration and reconciliation. And, but to those who are lost, Isaiah would say it this way, who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal his saving power? He says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance that would attract us to him. He, he grows up in this sterile 400 years of silence since Malachi has last spoke, and it's sterile. There's nothing happening, and he, he's going to come, and he's not going to be, like, really attractive. He's just going to be a dude. And, and the nation of Israel were looking for a king, and they wanted a king ever since 1 Samuel 8, and Saul is king, and God gives them what they want, a king, and David becomes king, and all these kings, and failed kingship throughout the Old Testament, and they're looking for a king. They're looking for an earthly king, somebody that can protect them and support them and help them maybe even overcome the, the reign and rule of the Roman government, and somebody that can bring a little tranquility but he comes as a tender little green shoot. There's nothing that would attract us to him. And he, he just comes as a human being. And he doesn't come to, to reign and rule earthly. His mission was much greater. And Isaiah says, so he came. And verse 3 says, and he was despised. And he was rejected. And he is a man of sorrows. And he was acquainted with grief. And we, we turned our backs on him. We didn't want anything to do with him. We rejected him. And we looked the other way when he went by, and he was despised, and we, we didn't care. So when you start to study the narrative of the gospel, and you start to study the cross and the power of the cross and what it means, it's, 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 it's an ugly narrative, if you will, when you start to look at it. 
When you start to look at what Jesus went through and how Jesus was tortured and suffered such brutality and you enter into the narrative in Gethsemane where he's praying on that last night and if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your, be, your will be done. And he's sweating drops of blood and he's like, please, but if it be your will. Then you move from that story where they take him to Gabbatha, a place called Stony Pavement, and they're, they're beating him and they're cursing him and they're ridiculing him and blood is starting to pour from his body and you go, man, that was nasty. Then he's led to a place called the garrison room, and that's where the crown of thorns is thrust on his brow, and he's beaten with rods, and again, the mocking and jeering, and then he's led to a place called Golgotha, the four G's of Scripture. Jesus is shedding blood in each and every one of these places, and he's going to die a criminal's death. You see, the cross purchased and provided salvation for all humanity once and for all. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world once and for all. There's no other way to be reconnected and have an established relationship back with God, our Father, Abba, except through Jesus. Even in that declaration of John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is coming to the Father except through me. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. The cross, the most powerful symbol Because it declares once and for all God's undeniable love for humanity. Even John would write in chapter 15, greater love, greater agape has no one than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. And God calls you and I his friends. He he says, I love my friends. I'm willing to die for my friends, ultimately to glorify the Father once and for all to deal with sin and deal with the separation and alienation, the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so we look at it, it's like, it's a place to come and die. A girl visiting for the first time, never met her. She came up to me in the cafe and she said, I'll come back. I said, cool. She said, one of the first churches I went to that really where I started getting my foundation, I've never really heard anybody else say that, but he used to say that Jesus bids us to come and die. Well, Paul would say that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would write that. I bid you to come and die to yourself so that you can find life. And she said, that's what I'm starving for again. Really? Well, you, you got to come and die. You, you, you got to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. And so the cross is that message. But he settles the sin issue and the sin debt issue once and for all. He didn't say, I've done my part. Now you go do yours. He said, it is finished. Everything the Father has required for you to be brought back in harmonious relations, it is finished. So I was contemplating like three incredible things take place at the cross when you study it. First of all, sin is completely dealt with. Sin is dealt with and forgiveness is extended. Forgiveness to the soldiers that nailed him to the cross. Forgiveness to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious posse of that day that had schemed together to try to kill him. 
Forgiveness to all those others that mocked and ridiculed him. Forgiveness to the people in Loganville on 9-11-216 that would sit there and he would go, I forgive you. I love you. And so the cross declares forgiveness and people struggle so much at times in their heart really believing that they're totally forgiven. But in Christ Jesus, you're forgiven. It also declares that hell has been defeated once and for all. When Jesus rose with the keys of death, hell and the grave, the cross and the gospel message says hell has been beat. The power of Satan and the power of sin dealt with, the penalty dealt with, the presence of Satan is still around you. He's wanting to eat your lunch. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but hell is defeated. Yeah. So even as the demons in hell throw a party, we killed him. We, we beat him. Early on that first resurrected Sunday morning when the ladies appear at the tomb and the angel says, he, he's not here. He's risen just as he said he would be. Jesus said, it is finished. He never declares, I am finished. He is the resurrection and the life. And he's alive today. Hell is defeated and heaven is victorious. God wins. And God looks at you, even as Nick declared, and God says, I love you. I believe in you. You've got what it takes to be just like my beloved son. If you will allow the power of the Holy Spirit to explode in your heart and live in and through you, greater things than these will you do. No eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. He loves you today. And it's the cross. It's the power of the cross. But the cross, the cross, the cross demands a response. When you contemplate the weightiness of the cross, the cross is not a statement that says, I've come just to make your life a little bit easier. The cross is not a message that says, you know what, I just want to make you happy. The cross is not a feel-good message, but the cross is a, a place where it demands a response to say, are you willing to depart and repent from you and receive me with all of your heart? Because I'm life, and I want to give you eternal and abundant. I want to give you hope. I want to give you restoration and healing. It demands a response. And it's not the response of the Southern culture that says, pray a prayer, walk an aisle, jump in a tank of water, and fill out a membership card. That doesn't appear in this old book right here. Because Jesus says, come and follow me. I bid you to come and die. I want you to know what the power and the hope of the gospel is. So we love here at the cross, Loganville, to brag Paul would say in Galatians 6, 14, if I'm going to boast and if I'm going to brag, God forbid that I boast and brag about anything other than Christ. So we love to boast and brag here about Jesus, not about us, not about how good we are, but about how good he is. And so we are the cross. We're not ashamed of the cross. Because we realize it's God's power unto salvation to everyone who believes. We are the cross. We're not a neighborhood name, a subdivision name, or a cool kind of cultural relevant name. 
We're an old-time rugged name where hope and healing is found in the power of the gospel. We are the cross because we know that it was at the cross, at the cross, where we first saw the light and the burdens of our heart were rolled away. And it was there by faith that I received my sight, and I'm blessed and joyful every day. The cross.